On this episode of Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group, a new leader for higher education's ISAC. This is Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher education IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. The Research and Education Network's Information Sharing and Analysis Center based at Indiana University has a new executive director. Anthony Newman takes over the post. He was the most recently the CISO at Purdue. Newman will replace Kim Milford, who left the post earlier this year to take on the CISO role at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Newman tells Ed Scoop's Skylar Rismans about his background and how he got to the role. So I attended community college. It's kind of how I started out as a, a desire to do technical work and uh, from there earned a bachelor's and then a master's um, while working. But uh, I, I started um, and spent quite a bit of time in local government as uh, sysadmin and then later on as the director of IT at, at a couple different cities. Um, and from there, I did some consulting uh, in IT and uh, managed services consulting. Uh, I started a company doing managed services as well. And then uh, about seven years ago, eight years ago, I, I uh, went into higher ed. Um, there was a, a group that was doing innovation and building new apps for teaching and learning. And it drew my attention and I uh, was able to uh, take that position. And then from there, just kind of moved up. I was at Purdue University. Um, and then about three years ago, uh, there was an opportunity for the CISO role at Purdue. And uh, the CIO at the time um, you know, approached me and, and suggested I would be a good fit for that and uh, did it kind of as a ad hoc as needed while we're searching for a bit and then did it as an interim and then eventually just said, you know, let's just go ahead and make this permanent. So, and then it turned out I loved it. Um, it was kind of good to get back into that, that uh, role, having spent almost, you know, 20 years uh, doing sysadmin work. So. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about um, what was it that interested you in transitioning your career into higher education? Yeah, so so I mentioned I went to community college. So um, I, my, my no, no one in my family went to college, and uh, I kind of stumbled into college. You know, I, I look at my kids now and think like they have no idea. Like there's just an expectation they're going to show up at college and they're going to know what to do. And because uh, my wife and I both attended, and um, you know I didn't have that, and so I wanted to build houses early on. That was my goal, and I happened to have a scholarship at Ivy Tech, which is a massive community college in in Indiana. Um, and went there with the kind of desire of doing something around that space. And an advisor at the time suggested computer networking. And uh, I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. And yeah, I kind of fell in love with it. Uh, turned out I was really good at it and enjoyed it and you know, constantly wanted to learn more. Um, and you know, so looking back you know, now, uh, 20 years later, uh, it was, you know, I guess at the time when I joined Purdue, it would have been 13 or 14 years later. It was really, I, I realized that education kind of changed the entire trajectory of my life, my career, my kids' lives, um, and really set me on a path you know, for success. And so anything I could do now to kind of promote higher ed, uh, I do uh, both you know, in my current role, but also in K-12s and at conferences and things like that. Yeah, certainly. Um, you previously led initiatives with cybersecurity and risk management. Tell me a little bit about those experiences and what you learned from them. So the interesting thing with with cybersecurity and risk management in higher ed is uh, it's it's hit or miss on how much support you get, 
and whether or not it's really a priority. Uh, thankfully, in the roles I, I was in at the university I was at, it, it was a priority. Uh, so we had a significant amount of funding um, and I had lots of support from the executive levels, both at the CIO and at the board of trustees level. So, um, you know, uh, I think understanding the threat landscape in higher ed was was unique to me. Uh, I, I was brand, you know, brand new compared to most people in higher ed and uh, didn't realize that the threat landscape was pretty significant. Uh, and it took took me a while to kind of grasp that. Um, and then risk management, I think it's it's uh, the thing I learned most and, and what um, I think allowed me to be successful was understanding uh, higher eds, especially R1s, are really like really large corporations. I mean, that's uh, they're no different than a extremely large business. You know, you have 20 plus thousand employees uh, and in some cases spread out throughout the, the state or throughout the U.S. And uh, it's no different than a, a for-profit uh, company. And so you kind of have to treat it as such in, in how you handle risk management. And so um, we had a new president come in, uh, of course, with that some new leadership. Uh, and, and I think they're on the right track now, even going beyond where we left off you know, extending the, the risk management process. So uh, yeah, understanding the threat landscape was probably the biggest aspect that I think helped me and, and allowed us to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what what lessons will you take from those experiences with you in your new position? Yeah, so so the interesting thing with Renaissance is, you know, I moved from, from being a CISO and myself, my team relying on Renaissance as, as a member of the group to now getting to work with CISO. So I, I think um, one of the things is I, I get it and I understand, you know, I, uh, I'll i say the CISO tenure is not very long, not only in higher ed, but in any uh, vertical because it's it's pretty stressful. And, um, you know, uh, it's it's there's not a day that goes by really where you're not constantly working uh, to improve, um, you, you know, your footprint. So, um, I think that's probably the biggest aspect that I took with me was not forgetting kind of what I dealt with on a daily basis and uh, reminding myself, you know, uh, for instance, when we talk about new services we might roll out or uh, how we handle the interface of, of what our members actually see and feel and touch, you know, remembering CISOs don't have time to learn something. You, you really have to present it in a way that's digestible easy to, to kind of grasp, take forward and, and, and move forward. And if you can automate it through vendor relationships and things like that, all the better. I think that's, you know, um, kind of the, the gold star if you can do that, because then it's turnkey, they just turn it on and it's ready to go. This year marks Ren Isaac's 20th anniversary. How has the center's position as a computer security incident response team for higher education institutions evolved over time to where you are today? Yeah, so I think the CSERTs in general have evolved pretty greatly and, and and I'll say improved greatly from where, you know, they first kind of were established. Um, what's interesting is we do that role because it's the benefit of higher ed, not necessarily because it was one of the um, objectives of ISACs when they were first established. It's kind of a byproduct of, hey, we see all this, we do all this. Uh, Indiana University obviously has lots of various arms in the cyberspace that you know, touch and feel and have access to some of this. So it made a lot of sense for us to serve as an incident response team. Um, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll speak to more where we're going for the future. Um, so instance today, 
uh, aren't often shared. That's that's the challenge groups like us, as well as other C-certs run into is uh, whenever there's a, a an incident that's significant enough, typically companies will kind of close down. Uh, and I've been at companies that do that, so I'm well aware of what happens. Um, attorneys step in typically, third-party attorneys who say, don't speak to the public, don't put out any press releases unless they run through us. And so that presents a lot of challenges for the incident response team, uh, depending on what levels were involved or not involved, or if there are other institutions of similar size and scope who would want to know that information. Um, you know, I think moving forward, the the thing that we really want to focus on with REN ISAC is that we're a trust community first and foremost. And so, um, you know, making sure all of our members feel comfortable sharing, um, you know, making sure that the area of focus of those that have the deepest level knowledge of incidents is a is a select group. And so while we have over 3000 uh, active, you know, folks on uh, that have access to to a lot of REN ISAC data, narrowing that focus to the right group of individuals who might have access to incident data, um, I think would would help CISOs feel more comfortable in sharing some of that. Um, and, and you see some of that in subgroups, right? So having been part of the Big Ten prior mm -hmm. uh, in my role as CISO, there's a Big Ten Academic Alliance where there are CISOs that meet. And, and you're able to share some of that information with those groups because you have um, you know, mem memorandums and, and legal reasons why you can share that. That doesn't necessarily extend in some of the trust communities, or if it does, it, I think some people question it. So um, I think as a CSERT, you know, my focus is making sure uh, our members know they can trust us and that we're going to do what's right from a, a ability to share or not share that data, you know, out, outside of a small group. Um, and that's probably one of my biggest areas of focus these first few months is, is right-sizing that, making sure that we're doing all the right things for the right reasons. I think you kind of went into this a little bit, but um, I'll... I'll still ask the question, um, what are your goals for the center as um, its new executive director? So I have lots of goals. Uh, that's probably the, the bigger challenge for my team is to, to narrow that. Uh, so so if we think about the center as, you know, it's, it's self-sufficient. So, you know, making sure that um, we align our mission to the core mission of ISACs is first and foremost, that we don't, you know, vary from that too far. Um, and we don't today, thankfully. So there's not, you know, massive arms of, of work that we have to cut off or add, uh, but making sure that we're aligned with that. Producing a strategic plan. So that's, uh, we're targeting this year, uh, and actually in just the next couple months, with a kind of road tour with lots of our members to present it to, to get their feedback. And then with the calendar year, so in January, my goal would be to release that to our members as, hey, this is what we're focused on this next year. And the benefit is, um, you know, so having been a CISO, I'm going to listen to the feedback. So when, you know, I had a CISO who knows me from my previous role uh, call me recently with an issue that he had with uh, with Ren Isaac. And I listened and I took notes and, and we addressed the issue. I mean, that was the benefit of, of having that. You know, my cell phone's on my signature, um, and so I, I don't kind of hold back from from that. I, I believe it's my team to run, but also my team to to kind of make sure we're doing the right things, or or if we're not, address them. Um, and so, you know, addressing those items is going to be big. Um, right sizing the organization. So, uh, you know, when when our previous executive director left around that time, I don't know the exact timing. We had several individuals that left. 
so backfilling the right positions, um, you know, so that we have a strong team uh, that's on the roadmap and then, you know, really training. So we have a strong partnership with SANS organization. And uh, if you're not familiar with SANS, uh, they have great courses. So I, I was familiar with SANS know, 15 years ago when I started taking technical courses, um, but, but they are not cheap. Uh, there's a reason they're, they're the best but they're not inexpensive. And so by purchasing through Ren ISAC, you actually get half off the price. Um, and so I think we'll probably take advantage of some of that as well internally and um, you know, train up some of our, our staff. We're looking for job rotation. So I mentioned IU has a strong security footprint. So we have CACR, we have OmniSoc, we have Global Knock. I mean, I'm a couple of weeks into employment, but um, there, are, there are a lot of areas that uh, have expertise in, in both cybersecurity and privacy. Uh, seeking areas where we could do job rotation, I think is important, uh, including our undergraduate graduate population who are going into cybersecurity fields and pulling them in to work in the SOC, pulling them in to do analysis. Um, so that they get a good kind of breadth of experience. I think we're gonna be doing that. Um, so yeah, we have lots on the roadmap uh, and, and then, and then being physically present. So, um, you know, it's interesting when I interviewed for the role, I, I searched up as much as I could on Ren ISAC and I didn't find a lot in the public media space. So I found lots of information on the website, not all crawlable by Google and, and other search engines. I uh, didn't find a lot on YouTube. That's typically the place people go nowadays or LinkedIn. Uh, and, and so, you know, being out there in those social areas, but then also I mentioned the road tour, um, you know, se separating out our customer base with regions, possibly even overseas to, to make sure we hit a good fair amount uh, close to people. So it, so it's not super expensive for them to travel to where we can just listen uh, to, to what they love, what they don't love, where are the gaps they you know could see us improving. Um, and so that's on the roadmap as well. How would you characterize the landscape of threats against higher education research institutions and how can Ren ISAC help protect against them? So if you said just education and, and left out the research side, um, you know, I would say uh, we're, we're seeing it's kind of like an easy target. So I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, uh, healthcare was this. So I, I did an internship in, in healthcare when I was in college. And, um, you know, that was right around the time of, of HIPAA, I believe. And so I, I remember the sysadmins and the network admins complaining about HIPAA and how it's ridiculous. And now it's just, we all expect it and we all, you know, know it's there. Um, but, but they were an easy target at the time because, you know, systems weren't built to protect sensitive data. And higher ed is, is kind of the easy target right now. Uh, in most higher eds, you have really old technologies that were custom built at the higher ed institution because it satisfied a need, right? So they said, you know, faculty member X said, I need to do this. And the IT people said, oh, we can help you do that. Or someone at the campus who was smart said, oh, we can help you do that. They built something, handed it off, and then it, it's just sat there and worked for years um, with no updates and no patching and no real modernization. And so I, I think, you know, and it, then if you look at all the data that higher eds have, um, you know, you think about when you apply to college and all the personal information you give, uh, in many cases, all the personal information of your parents that you give, 
and you know financials, et cetera, tax records. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a great target for threat actors. And I say threat actors because it's not always nation state. Sometimes there are you know uh, individuals who just say, "Oh, I can go after this because it's easy." Um, when you add that, when you add the the research side, so this this gets into an area where I'm I'm really familiar. Um, that's where you definitely get into nation state threat actors. You you start to see challenges that you never really considered. Uh, so, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, if you go to any R one uh, in the U.S. who is doing any type of um, like applied research, uh, or or if they have say a SCIF for uh, for classified research, um, and and almost every one of them, you're going to have foreign students from nation states that that the U.S. considers you know potentially concerning, walking right outside the SCIF, and, and um, you know that's if you're from the military, that's really unusual because skiffs are locked down. There's fences surrounding them. And you just don't have that in higher ed, and, and so that presents a lot of challenges, both physically and how you handle that, uh, but also from a um, you know how do you handle that in a way that's sensitive enough to not assume every student is a bad actor, and, and also take into account there are some students that are most definitely bad actors. Uh, we, we know that from the intelligence community for sure. Uh, so, you know, I think that presents a really uh, big challenge for those institutions that do research, especially in the defense space uh, or in kind of the healthcare space where there's kind of an arms race of putting stuff out there. Um, and I, you know, I don't think there's a, unfortunately, I don't think there's a clear answer on how you handle that today. I think it's it's unique to every school. Uh, you know, so Purdue, when I was there, we did it one way. IU does it a slightly different way. Uh, I think University of Michigan probably does it a slightly different way. So, you know, I think it's based on leadership, board of trustees, the CIO, et cetera, and, and how they want to handle those, those environments. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting. I think it's, you know, unfortunately with with the, the the state of affairs as it is today, I, I think it's it's going to be more challenging in the near future, uh, especially for those larger universities, whether or not they do research or not, those universities that accept students from out of the US, uh, there is more um, you know, potential for, for risk there that I think CISOs have to account for. Over the summer, Ren Isaac signed a new partnership agreement with uh, Fortinet, what does that partnership look like and how do you envision that relationship will improve security across higher ed and research institutions in the future? So we actually signed that deal, I think, in December of 2021. Oh, OK. Um, we it, it was not renewed in the summer, but but I can speak to kind of partnerships in general. Um, okay. uh, so, you know, I think when I think about partnerships and, and RENISEC specifically, um, I won't sign a deal with any partner if it doesn't provide direct benefit to the members. Doesn't matter how much of a benefit it provides to me. For instance, let's say I, you know, my previous role had a great relationship with Cisco. Cisco comes to me and says, "We'll give you a million dollars. I'd love that, but if they can't provide something to my members, I won't do it because they're going to expect something in return, and and I don't want to, you know, go down that path." Uh, so any any partnership we go down, and, and that is one of the goals we have this year, is to extend our partnerships, especially in areas where we can automate uh, 
threat intelligence. So if we get threat intel in that has, say, indicators of compromise, if we can automatically feed those into some appliance, you know, without anyone touching anything, I want to do that and, and hopefully do that at no additional cost. That would be the goal. The only way that happens is if a vendor comes in and says, hey, we'll just do this because it's the right thing to do. And we believe in ISACs in the U.S., um, and so, you know, that's definitely a goal, but yeah, it has to be, a, it has to be beneficial for the members. And, and of course, you know, the vendors will want some benefit out of it as well. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that that is, uh, something we're seeking, um, to expand with, with not only Fortinet, but with, with many other, you know, I think vendors and partners, uh, internet to, et cetera, uh, you know, in the next six to 12 months. Certainly. And when you're, uh, faced with with decisions when it comes to partnerships like that, um, what are when it comes to thinking about how that relationship will impact your members, what are sort of, what are things that are kind of top of mind that you consider? Uh, like how it will positively impact the members? Yeah, like if you had like yeah. a like a wish list of um, fr from a from a partnership, like what what would be like the top three things sure. that you're looking for? looking out for your members for in those partnerships. So it has to be, it has to be pain-free uh, because again, CISOs in my experience uh, are, are limited on their time. And oftentimes while they're, they're maybe not a silo uh, security sometimes uh, doesn't get all of the buy-in from other uh, university partners that might need to, to do things. So like single sign-on and things like that, that maybe aren't part of those security groups. Uh, so it has to be very, very simple to implement, simple to use. Uh, it has to be operational. So day one, it has to provide value. Um, I'll give you an example. We implemented uh, the hub uh, through Cyware. Um, I, I don't know when it was. I apologize. But but it's it's a very strong tool. And kind of in my first couple of weeks looking at it, I'm like, this can do a, a lot of things that we're probably not doing today. Uh, and so already one of the things that I heard rumblings of was, you know, you have to log in twice. And I said, well, we can fix that. Let's just fix that. And so the team's already scrambling to say, well, how can we make this a single sign-on and and just make it that way moving forward and with the expectation of any new tool is single sign-on now. Um, so easy, easy to operate. Day one, it has to be operational. Uh, and then I think cost, uh, you know, so I mentioned the R1s because I'm most familiar with them, but let's not forget they're not the majority of our, our member base. Uh, they're a strong group, but um, we have lots of smaller uh, colleges, universities, uh, community colleges that um, you know don't have additional resources. So while $3,000 may, you know, it, our prices are public if you're not familiar, while $3,000 may not seem like a lot to some universities, uh, to others, it's it's a lot of money. And so, you know, any new partnership we do, you know, my goal would be to keep it cost neutral to the to the members. And hopefully if it takes additional resources on our team to run it, which is often the case, that the vendors will come in and help help with that. Um, you know, that's that's gonna be a a strong ask, uh, but I think we'll be successful in, in some of those areas uh, from my past. You know, vendors are typically willing if there's some sort of uh, press or marketing or, or benefit to them in the long run. So uh, hopeful we can do some of that. So yeah, easy to implement, day one operational, and um, I don't even remember the third one. I apologize now. That's all right. Um, and then the last question that I have for you that I'll let you go, um, 
is what does it mean to you to lead Ren Isaac, and what are you most looking forward to in your position? Yeah, so um, so I'm really grateful for this. I I, I think back to you know I, I joined Purdue I think in 2016, not having been in higher ed, uh, and that's not an easy entry for folks who've not been in higher ed, especially for folks who did not go through a traditional path to higher ed, you know, going to community college and then working while getting your bachelor's and master's. It's not a, an easy entry point. Um, and so to go from there to, to now leading a group that has over 740 institutions as members is, is amazing to me. Um, I, I will get to have, you know, FaceTime with, with, in my opinion, the most knowledgeable cybersecurity individuals in the world uh, by being part of this group. Uh, there's also the National Council of ISACs, and so I'll get to touch and, and uh, see other industries of, of security as well, which will be beneficial. Um, I use, so I'm a Boilermaker at heart, uh, and, and I, I did my master's at Purdue and still have season tickets, but, you know, IU, uh, is, uh, they're a great school. They have a really strong cyber program, uh, and, you know, they, they are, uh, extremely dedicated to, to making not only RENISAC, but all the other areas, OmniSoc, GlobalNOC, uh, CACR, et cetera, uh, successful. And so, you know, for me, that's what really drew me there was was seeing that um, that backing that they had all the way uh, up to the president. Um, you know, it's beneficial. I, you know, I mentioned the president. That's something else. You know, like the former president uh, of IU. Like I had lunch with him yesterday, and like that that opportunity wouldn't have happened in my previous role. Uh, and and so I think it it just uh, it opened up a lot of opportunity for me, and I think it's a great group of people and a. a you know, a great product that we offer uh, to higher ed. Anthony Newman, Executive Director for the Ren Isaac. You can read more about him and his plans for the role at edscoop.com and it links in today's show notes. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a Scoop News Group production. Carlin Fisher and Adam Butler help make it happen and the entire team contributes. Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.